1: You're listening to FP Interviews, in-depth conversations with interesting people. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix. Hello, hello, Footy Primers. It is Tuesday, which means it's another interview series on Footy Prime. Very happy to be joined by my partner in crime, Craig Forrest. And Jimmy Brennan is here as well. How are you, boys? Very well. Excellent, thanks. It's spring, isn't it? Are, are, are we in spring yet? What is time anymore in the pandemic? I mean, what is time? We've got a World Cup in the winter. <laughs> Who knows what time of year it is? True. Uh, but I'm very excited to to speak with you two, uh, former Canadian internationals, all the time, but especially now in this international break as Canada looked to qualify for the World Cup in Qatar. So we've got a, a double dose of people that you know very well from the Canadian program. Uh, he played 63 times for Canada. He coached uh, Toronto FC. You know him as... Dasso, he's always spoken about on the show. Nick Dasovich, joining us first thing in the morning for Vancouver. Nick, how are you?
3: I'm doing well. How are you guys doing?
1: Really good. Great to have you on. I wasn't on the, the program. I wasn't part of, of this crew the last time you were um, on the show. So I'm very happy to, to speak with you about Canada and coaching and all that. And also very happy to speak with the vice president of player health development for the Toronto Raptors, Alex McKechnie, back in the program. Alex, thanks for joining us.
2: Good morning, and thank you for having me. Morning, guys. How are we doing?
4: Alex is always great to have you on, buddy. I know you got home really late from the game in Chicago last night, and been traveling around. I think you guys played seven games and ten nights, and it's hard enough being a player. But uh, how is it for you to doing all this traveling?
2: Hey, it's um okay. You know, you know how it is in the wide world of sports. I mean, there are no days off. Today is actually a day off, but. My staff will be in. I'll be in there later this afternoon or later this morning. Obviously, sleep in a little bit, but um, th- there are no days off. And it's a grind. It's a grind for all of us, you know, especially throughout the course of the season. You know, we, we, we definitely face some challenges. I try to – We, you know, things are different uh, in, in today's world of, of professional sports as as we've known it in the past. I know all you three guys there have played over the years. Um, when you think back, uh, it's it, – to back in the day when we joined our national program, it was just me or Greg Bay or or whomever was actually representing the, you know the, the team at that point. Um, whereas today I have a you know I've got eight full time staff for fifteen players. You know it, it's um, so we're, we're we're very well represented in that area. So it's very different. Yeah, you know professional sports historically is reactive. You know, as somebody gets hurt, you treat them. Well, we, we pride ourselves in the fact that we we built um, and one and, and one of the first teams to really start it. You know, here in, in Toronto to build a very proactive program where we take uh, every player and try to identify their their individual needs and work from that point. Just as much as player development people look for weaknesses in players' games and try to develop that area, so we try to blend them both and have we have a program where we we mix with uh, you know front office our coaching group and our a player health and development and performance group. Uh, and then we'd blend that together and we'd try to create that, that environment of a, of a preventative care program and development program. So it's very, very different from days, days gone by.
4: Now, Al, coming from a national team program that you've been involved with with us uh, many, many occasions, um, when there's big gaps between FIFA breaks, uh how would you deal with that uh, would you be in contact with players regularly clubs regularly just to see where their fitness levels are uh preparing for what they're you're going to get when they come into camp
2: i'll give an example of, of what we do relative to off season we'll finish in you know the last day of the playoffs and, and if indeed you go to the finals it's the middle of june or it could be anywhere between like middle of april to the middle of june and you're not returning again until september you're jumping into a training camp that's going to go as you well know. Um, You hit the ground running. You know, coaches aren't sitting about waiting there. We're in constant contact with our players all summer. You know, we build a program throughout the summer for each player. Again, we identify their needs and work in those areas, particularly if we're dealing with any kind of injuries, injury recovery, injuries that may have sort of long-term ramifications, their impact on on the player throughout the course of the year. (laughs) So we take a, a very serious approach to that. I can say NBA is a different world. Our players are all over the world, you know, as in football too. But I'm saying throughout the course of the summer, um, I'll send my staff out. We'll rotate through through all of our players uh, and the needs of players, certain players, depending on what they're dealing with. It's an interesting question, you know. So I'm assuming these players, what I'd be checking into, I'd be making sure players in the national program. And again, I can't speak for for what they're doing, you know, with the program at this point. But I'll say one thing. And I know the John Herman, they've actually totally restructured almost to... More of a club level at this point, I think. Back in the day, you know, when, when you guys were playing, I mean, it was um, how many times that you came in and uh, I finished up working all damn all, all night. You know, it was uh, guys would come in with ears, <laughs> on the one on top of the other.
4: Yeah, we just we just hang out in your room.
2: That was about it. And
4: just uh, one guy after another. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, we, did, we went for the social, though.
0: I know. <laughs> just before <laughs> we you were injured to go see him. Hey, Alec, I remember this, this story, Clear as Day, right? I remember I was lying lying in bed in LA during the Gold Cup, right? <laughs> Twenty of rest because obviously you know the type of player I was. I, I, I worked very very hard and I needed a good afternoon kit. <laughs> so, and I remember hearing some commotion outside the door, right? I was going, "What the hell's going on here?" And I opened up the door and I went to yell, and there's an absolute giant standing outside my door, about seven feet tall, Shaquille O'Neal. Who- you brought to meet all the guys. yeah. And I couldn't believe the size of them. And he looked at me, he says, what's up, big man? Is there a problem? I was like, no, 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 you're good. Everything's okay. <laughs> now, when you when you look at the size of these basketball players and just how big they are, how, how agile they are, is there a huge difference working with footballers
2: and with, with NBA basketball players? There's an acronym I use uh, when I do a little bit of speaking from time to time, and it's BUILD. You you build a career. You build your program. You're building your show here. And basic principles never, ever change. If you're building a house, you put the foundation in. If you're an accountant, this column's got equal that column. In my world, joints move, so move them. You know, muscles move joints, so you better work them. To answer your question, yeah, the the size difference is massive, no question. But the basic principles don't change. It's how you utilize your skill set. And it's how you utilize the skill set of people around you to make the program better, everybody better, the system better. I have a multidisciplinary group working for me. It's about utilizing that whole group and that, that skill set in order to to access as much information as we possibly can. I'll give you a little, a little example of, of what I mean by that. We hired a young uh, a therapist by the name of Amanda Wokin. Amanda's an absolute rock star in our world, a t- real talent. Amanda's five foot four, maybe. Some of the management group saying to me, well, "What does she you know about basketball?" My comment is, "Well, the last time I checked, she's not playing." What I'm looking for is a skill set, not about what she knows about basketball. As well or not she can do the job that I wanted to do, and it's a skill set that I didn't have. It's about building those programs, you know, and, and working with those athletes. Um, the ability to know what you need, how we can address those issues. Uh, ultimately, you create as in the, the will finish is I, which is your identity. Your identity, you know, becomes your identity as your, your team takes on the identity of the coach. The team, t- you know, my group, will take on. Like, really, my philosophy and identities, which is we have one message, but it's a collective message every single day. That identity is, you know, when I developed some of the core stuff, the core movement it became my identity. And it's your identity that gives you L, which is longevity. You know, that's why I'm still doing this perhaps, you know, 40 years later, almost 50 years later, quite frankly. So far removed from what I was doing back in the clinic in Hastings Street when I first met Craig and, like, 14 years old. Frank like 14 years old. It was quite a setup, really. It's like I say, it's the longevity that allows you D in order to diversify, which is so far removed from what I've been doing now. But to answer, basically answer the question is how do you treat them differently? You don't treat them differently. It's really about identifying what the needs are. Like you a football player. You're running six, seven, eight kilometers a game. We concentrate our, our rehab and our training protocols based on the 24-second clock. Because your first six seconds to eight seconds is coming across the line, coming, you know, getting across half court, unless you're like, pushing the ball. So really when we're working with players in, in a rehab mode and in the training mode, we try to work them within you know, the, the peak. The Peak work is going to work somewhere between you know, like 16 seconds on the clock to about eight seconds on the clock because that's those are the, the peak areas. So yeah, you have to look at the needs. I, I call it activities of daily living. Someone's um, working at a construction site or sitting at a desk. You have to address those issues. The answer to answer the question, are they different, physically completely different? Weight programs, for example, we've eliminated all like like squatting and all these different things that people are doing. It's just, you know, how does that relate to basketball and where does it, where does it relate on the field? And I think those are the things you have to look at. Now, having said that, working with Shaq was a completely different world. I mean, he was the first NBA player that I ever worked with, the biggest and the best. I mean, it was like, there's a great story behind that. Yeah, tell us.
1: Yeah, I'd love to hear that how Shaq became the tallest player you ever worked with, surpassing Craig
2: Forrest. Yeah, i no, not the, the tallest player you ever worked with, but he was the tallest. I developed a lot of the stuff on the core movement, if you remember, with the therabands and elastic bands wrapping people up, and people thought it was crazy at the time, and this is way back in 95, 96. The first player I wor- really worked with, with was Paul Korea, the hockey player. What I can share to you, the, the pelvic dysfunctional patterns that, the player C, the hockey hernia, the sports hernias. A fellow by the name of Ross Davison, who was the Canucks doctor at the time. I was doing a lot of the work in the NHL at the point. He was. He had identified some of the, the surgical procedures that were relative to the, this type of injury. He called me and said, "Look, Alex, we're going to do this together, right? I said, fine. 10.30 in the morning, I get a call. I said, we're on our way over. Well, I'm not ready for you. I'm, I'm packed. As you guys know, Nick and, and you know Craig been in my office. We were spinning the plates. There was patients everywhere. I said, well, I'm sorry about it. I can't see you till 1 o'clock. He drove over the Afterline Bridge, took a jet home, never came. So it almost never happened. The following week, they were seeing, um, they were playing the Grizzlies. I get a call again. Would I do it again? One thirty. Okay, fine, but I'm not going to wait around. You know, would I come to the hotel? No. Nope. Come to my office. In the end, he finally came to my office. That was on a Tuesday, and by the Saturday, I was in Los Angeles. That was in nineteen, that was in 1997, 98. And Jerry West hired me shortly after that. That was a. That's how it all happened.
1: Amazing. Shaq brought you to LA and all those, Amazing. all those years of working on the fringes at Sportsnet with Craig brought me to uh, footy prime, the podcast. Your, your story's <laughs> a little better than mine. Your story's a there little better. <laughs> not,
2: not any better. Not any better. It's just, uh, a, little, just a bigger guy. You know, that's all, <laughs> but it was interesting area, but the, I'll never forget the first time he came in my office. I didn't know. It was like overwhelming. You know, it was I, it, in the end, I used to say, you, you know, uh, um, like we should think it, each leg was worth win about eighty five pounds. You know it was like it's unbelievable. I said Do you work out <laughs> today. I said yeah, I did three sets of shack. <laughs> unbelievable! It was uh, it was incredible. Yeah.
1: Alex, why did you never work on Jimmy's right foot? Was there just no way to correct that?
0: <laughs> Listen, it's like what I always said. Why why have two average ones when you can have one great one? There you go.
1: It's a gr- whatever whatever you got to tell yourself to me. It's great. Yeah.
2: I'll go back in that little story about about Jimmy was talking about when we came over to the uh, over to the the national program. I was with the Lakers at the time, and uh, as with the national team at the time, we were, I was doing double dipping a little bit, right? And uh, and, and we came over, and um, I said, Shaq, drive me over. You know, we'll go see the guys." He goes, "Yeah, yeah, okay." At that point, he was he was. Um, and he was doing his police training at the time. He had lights on his car, so he flipped the lights on, and we flew through the Sepulveda underpass all the way over there with his lights flashing to come over to the facility. We get in there, and the first room he walks into was actually Kevin Muldoon's, and he was lying, having a nap in the afternoon in his, in his underwear. his <laughs> shock, I've talked to live in daylight, sort of. Oh, it's funny. We'll see what
1: happens. Right there. Nice. You, you guys got some great stories. Uh, there's quite a few key words there that you were mentioning, Alex, that st- stood out to me, uh, one of which was longevity you're referring to. And something we've spoken about on this uh, program a lot is, you know, with the Canadian men's team qualifying for Qatar here, which they will solidify in this current round, final round of World Cup qualifiers in the octagonal cycle, they'll always be at the World Cup now, expanding to 48 teams, being co-host in 2026, um, Nick, um, you worked with the. You've worked in youth football for a long time. You worked with the uh, under-20 side. You were the the coach um, at, at the start of the last decade. Uh, you've worked with several of these players. You know these players very well um, as a as a coach, but as someone who uh, you know as a former player has real real ties, and uh, I'm sure uh, you know has wanted for a long time to see this this team continue to improve. What's it like to see the stage that they're at right now?
3: Yeah, I, I wouldn't say surreal, but it's, it just, it almost happened overnight. It felt like, you know, we were a struggling nation and just, it's like bang. But the one thing, and then, you know, Alex mentioned about John, the one thing that they've done very well is they've, they've done a lot of scouting and networking and they found players abroad, like in different countries, guys that had dual nationalities that were maybe playing. I can play for, you know, whether it be Jamaica or England or whoever it was. And they're now becoming part of our country and he's enticing them in and then, um, and he's quite, quite firm about, Hey, if you don't want to be with us, you're not going to be with us. So, you know, he's getting buy-in from everybody. And, and then we've got, you know, I think the Academy structure in Canada has helped, but not just CFC in Montreal and Vancouver, but there's the, the, the independent uh, academies in in Ontario that started the whole process um, where I think at one point we had more kids or more players playing in the national team that were from the private academies than actually from the professional academies. So there's a there's a big support. A lot of people put a lot of money and time and effort into it. In the background, that need to get a lot of kudos for what what's happened. But in general, we've got we've got a population. We're very diverse. You know, we've got a incredibly diverse population. And now it seems everybody's gravitating towards football as opposed to different sports. And I just think that we're on on our way to like you said to qualifying regularly for the World Cup. I know right now, if I was sitting in Qatar and when the when the draw comes, I wouldn't want to face Canada. I really wouldn't. I think I think we're kind of an unknown, but we're getting to become known. With one of the best left backs in the world, to say one, you know, Kyle Aaron in Turkey. You've got Jonathan David doing his thing in, in France. We're we're a team to be reckoned with, and I think um, it's exciting. It really is, and it's it's something to be proud of as, as a whole nation. And uh, uh, yeah, it's changed. It's completely changed from when it was when we played to what it is now, but in in a, in a much better climate. So yeah, I think everybody's excited about what's going to happen.
4: And Dasso, don't you think that the important thing too with uh, 26 being a guarantee uh, that we can build on momentum uh, as opposed to looking back at 86, a one-off uh, did a certain amount of development uh, for future players and you know the game, 2000 Gold Cup, uh, the run in 94 World Cup qualifying, uh, these different events, but nothing that was sustainable winning that we could really build on. I think we've seen that with the women's program over the last 20 years, if not certainly the last 10, uh, with sustainable winning. And now with the Canadian team in this situation, don't you think that we're in a in a position now to to build a, at a level that we've that we'll never look back?
3: Yeah, I mean you've got you think back to 80 sixteen, the reason why and I wasn't I was just a youngster, you know, 15, 16, hoping to play for the team one day. We, the, in Alex, you can correct him. I think the NSL went under 94 or 84, sorry. And then those guys had that whole process from the seventies and the eighties that brought them into the 86 World Cup because qualifying was obviously pre-86. So they had that dynamic of playing in a league and being in a conga calf environment. And then the league goes under, and then we have the CSL in the late eighties. But is it, is that really the type of quality that you needed to go and compete at the highest level? And that's where most of us were playing. There's a few guys spread around the world. Like yourself and some others, but it wasn't a big group. Now we have everybody. Our top guys aren't even here. They're they're abroad. They're and they're not just they're not playing third division or second. They're playing top top countries and top worlds. And I think that's a really big difference that we're seeing right now. Um, and then we've got the CPL coming underneath the MLS. Now we've got a, a infrastructure. We've got league ones popping up around the province for the younger players to get their feet wet. Uh, the seventeen to twenty three year age gap is starting to. They're finding solutions for those kids. We're not losing them at 17 or 18 or 19. They're actually gaining momentum and playing. Um, it, it, it's just different, and, uh, and, and it, it was well needed. And I think now you're going to see. I, I don't think there's any turning back. I really don't. Um, you know, we're talking about what's going to happen in, tw- in this next World Cup. I think what's going to happen in 2026. You know, it could get scary for us, meaning scary good. <laughs> I mean, we could have an incredibly fantastic team come 2026. So it's, it's going to be this next six years going to be a fun ride it a really fun ride for our country and for the people.
1: This octagonal qualifying stage has been uh, incredibly fun to watch for, for any Canadian supporter. John Herdman said it and kind of joked that, um, everyone's you know, a bit sad to see this, this qualifying run come to an end just because they've had so much fun over these, over these last six months. One thing that we've seen, you know, as the pieces have changed, obviously Alfonso Davies not going to be involved in, in this window either. Um, There's so much depth there. There's always like someone new in each window that has been able to kind of take over and take some of the spotlight and just show how good they are. I don't think that he's
4: made a mistake anywhere as far as selection um, substitutes or anything. It's just gone perfect. But at the end of the day, if you're the national team right now, you guys know Dasso and Jimmy. the, The job is not done yet. In their minds, they want to pick up. Three games. They want to finish top. They want to keep that consistency and that quality. The winning becomes a, uh, it becomes contagious. So that's what they'll be looking to do. They'll be looking to pick up three points, not just a draw on Costa Rica, but that's going to be a difficult game because remember, it's the only game they played in Central America. And this round is going to have a full stadium. The restrictions with COVID have given them a benefit of going into San Pedro Sula and Honduras and things like this, with not having to that, have that real lion's den experience, Alex and Dasso and Jimmy that we know about. So it's going to be difficult in Costa Rica. It's going to be loud. It's a must win for Costa Rica. It'll be really interesting to see how that one goes.
3: Well, if you, I think Alex mentioned the one word identity with uh, when he's talking about building a structure, infrastructure, John, John has built a culture. Uh, and I think, uh, it's not so much the players. It's he's got a culture that he's built on and he's got the, you know, brotherhood and family. And I, I think that he's stuck to it. And he's, and, and, and when you get that surrounding of guys know what to expect when they come in and he won't take anything less than that, I think that's just, that was the start of the whole process. Um, you know, when you talk about how, you know, you go into Costa Rica and, you know, full stadium, these guys are playing like, you know, Atiba is a Beshitash playing Galatasaray in front of 50,000 people that are, that are 10 times worse than, you know, Hondurans or whatever you want to talk about. So I don't think, I don't think we, I don't think that that's an issue with this group of guys. I really don't. I I think they'll actually feed off of that more than anything else. I think when we played in the 80s, it was actually scary. (laughs) Like it was, it it was scary. Like it was different. Like, you know, I think me and Alex, we got showered with, a yellow substance from the stands. I think I, I could vividly remember you working on me and then running away from me and leaving me on my own. Was, was <laughs> okay. Those bags of piss coming over the fence. <laughs> I said, you better come off this seat because I'm mugging off
0: that side. And then they had the guard dogs at the corner flags where you used to shit yourself and then they are going to take your corner.
2: Kid. When he went down, I went on. I said, you better be hurt because <laughs> I ain't too <laughs>
0: I tell you what, if I, if I look at this national team right now, I think we're, we're in a, a wonderful spot. And I agree with you, Dasil, because I think it's only going to get better. Um, and the game's going to continue to grow because everybody wants to be a part of success. And I see this national team right now. If it gets to the World Cup, we're going to be hosting the World Cup. I don't think in time we're going to lose top players. I think previously the national team wasn't the best. We lost Hargraves. We lost Bergovic. We've lost a number of players. And I think now those players that had that tendency to maybe go back and play for wherever their parents came from. I think that's going to change now that dynamic where these top Mm. young players are going to say, no, I'm Canadian and I want to play for this national team because we've got so much to play for now going forward. And especially if they get to Qatar, which they will. And then the future world cups, they've got a great opportunity playing in their backyard uh, for a world cup. So I think we're, we're in a wonderful spot right now when you look at our national program.
2: To your point about about the identity, taking the, like I say, taking the identity of the coach or, or, or the culture. It's an interesting point. You know, we take our, our team, for example. You know, Messiah's come in and created a, created a culture. You know, for us as a group. When we draft these young players and we get young players coming in, they, they fall into our system. The older players, you know, they're they're kind of a going out, you know, and but they fall into this system that we that we've developed. They come to play with us. This is what we're going to do. That's just the way it is. We don't force it on them, but it's just a, it's education and it's about understanding, and, and it's the culture that's developed that people want to be part of. To Jim's point, they want to be part of success, and really, it's about giving giving the team some longevity too, in order to create that and develop that. Which obviously, John Herman did with the women's team. There's no, I mean, it's pretty evident, that, you know, he he did that, and it's pretty evident he's doing it here. And all I have to do is listen to some of the players, you know, listen to some of the people that work there, and they're all bought in to your point. Every single one, and and like I say, in, 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 from a medical standpoint too, I've given have given Greg now the position where he's got the opportunity to build a team around him, and you know it's no different from building your you know, you know like the coach building your team. We've got to build our own team too that we're comfortable with, and we know that we can we can go to a guy and say, listen, these are the issues we're dealing with here. I know you can handle it. it.
3: Takes money too. It takes money. I think they've 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 obviously invested. Where I remember going to the World Cup with Dale Mitchell in two thousand three in Dubai that group. So when the Tiba Hutchinson was captain of back in the day, we finished eighth in a world, which I think the highest finishing for a youth team. And Dale did an amazing job. We went to the world cup with four staff members. So, so, so when that, we went to the technical meeting before and Earl Cochran was our yeah. so-called general manager. And he put his general manager hat and, then, hat and then they say, we're with Brazil. Brazil got 15 representatives. We got me and Earl. Who's your kit man? And he put a hat on. Who's it? So we're just like putting hats on everywhere. Cause we're trying to fill in roles. So, it's changed. Like, you know, now, you know, like I said, we have a yeah. team picture. I only have one soccer picture in my house, and it's the one of the 2003 <laughs> group because it was an amazing group of people. Like Ian Hume was on it and, uh, you know, Atiba Hutchinson and David Edgar and these type of players. It was an amazing group of players. And there's like, uh, there's Dale, myself, Eddie Cannon and Doc Doc Johnson. That was it. And then obviously Angus was one of our representatives from CSA, but we had four actual yeah. staff members. So talk about the difference of where we are now to where we were back then. And I think it's fantastic what's happened now, but it also takes it takes a commitment to financially to get that to where it is.
4: You know, finan- financially, Nick, you talk about that. And one of the challenges we've seen at the youth level, as opposed to our neighbours, United States, who have uh, much deeper pockets. Uh, so their preparation for tournaments going into U20 events and qualifying, uh, they could spend a month, two months together in a camp. And yet our Canadian situation, because of the finances, I suppose, for the most part, don't have that money to get our players in the situation. So if you're the O20 coach, you're getting players coming in. You don't really know what's their situation is health wise uh, whether they're tactically ready to go all these different things big challenge for Canada to compete against the United States in a situation where they can do what they can do at a different level than we have and hopefully money in the future will help that as well because I think that's really important U 20 and youth events are massively important for the development of the full national team
3: yeah I I, again it's we're, we're relying on the professional academies to keep our kids right and uh, to make sure they develop in the right way. But – and I know full well when you get a group of guys you haven't worked together with and you get them on – you got match day minus five for a first game qualifying you haven't seen them yet and you're walking in, you know, good luck and you're walking in a more reputation than what the kids actually are at that moment. And kids change at that level. You can have an absolute stud at 17 – and at 19, he's washed up. He's done. That just happens. early development. development. Uh, you know, it depends on what uh, infrastructure he's part of. But um, it, it's not easy. But I think we're putting everything into this World Cup. We're going to qualify. We know. And then, then the money comes in from FIFA, and then hopefully that money will then start to get dispersed and they'll use it in the right, correct way, which they will. And then the 17s and the 20s and whatever other groups we have will start to then hopefully get reap some other award and get get some get some camps out of it.
1: Alex, we always see hockey players. It's a big thing doing keepy uppies in the in the hallway hours before the games. How come this isn't a thing in the NBA? And can can you bring this into the into the fold?
2: Actually, be surprised. Be surprised. Um, Pascal Siakam, real good football, good with his feet. Um, we'll get uh, OG. All those guys that they, they, you know, they, that come from the African continent and played, and OG grew up a bit in London as well for a while. Um, you'll be quite surprised the kid we have in the G League is two-way player Isaac Bonga his brother's playing in in um in the Bundesliga uh, yeah so it's definitely you. you if you watch our sort of pre, pre-game pre routine something you'll see Pascal juggling you know throwing it up and yeah, yeah, dunking the ball yeah quite often but it's not quite the same as hockey obviously I think it's uh, well, you can't use your feet in basketball remember but you can in hockey Jimmy, is there
1: any player in particular that's sending out to you, someone you're you're going to watch closely and uh, excited to see what they do in this window?
0: Uh, no player in particular. You know, I just want to – I'm excited to see a, a good, solid team performance again. Um, you know, the, the confidence that this team has right now is ridiculous, and it's great to see. It's, it's infectious, um, and they're bringing the whole country together here. Um, you know – one player that you did love to watch was obviously Alfonso because he's, such, he's, he's so world-class. He's just amazing to watch. Um, but I think for this match going forward, I, I, you just want to see them collectively play as a team and put in a solid performance.
4: One thing that's really impressed me about this side too is that with these long breaks in between international breaks um, and time that John Herdman has them, When they come in, they they seem to have the mindset right out of the gates where they are. They're focused on what they're doing. They put their club size aside and they manage to keep this standard that they've this incredible every single window. And this goes back a long time. Remember, before they even got into the the last group, what we call sort of punch bag teams, but uh, gave them an awful lot. of. A confidence, um, a group stage. So it's, uh, they're sitting in a good spot. And I don't expect that to change because John Herman's got them focused as well as anybody I've ever seen. And it's fun. Winning's fun. And it's easier to manage a team that's winning than, uh, than one that's not. Alex, you know all about that right? And uh, it affects everybody uh, from the players to the staff everywhere down. So when the team is playing well, things are happy. Sometimes a result on the weekend, that uh, club level is going to make your rest of your week really, really good. If you lose, can be absolutely miserable.
0: I think Alex is over it because his fingers are killing him from all the NBA rings that he's got. He's <laughs> like, bullshit, I don't want to win nothing anymore. <laughs> I can't keep my mind. How many rings do you have now? <laughs>
2: Six. Six. Six rings, yeah, <laughs> and, a, and a couple of CSL, you know, don't, don't forget those ones. The 86 sixers, they were big.
4: The rings weren't, but the, they,
1: they were big, big moments for you. The
2: CSL, they got terms, <laughs> yeah. It was a big ring. Nick, Nick, I have a question for you. Did, did you coach Alfonso?
3: I did not, that's why he is where he is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he stayed
3: out of the way <laughs> Come on, man. yeah I messed I heard enough kids careers so I'm out of here I'm gonna leave this kid alone no I, I was doing more TSN at that time I took a sabbatical from coach when it came back from San Jose and then I had the TSN and I remember being 15 years old and I'm talking to, and I actually made a comment on TV kids were 10 million and I, I thought I was being a little bit crazy at 10 million and now I was way off <laughs> it's more like 200 million so um you saw it you know what it was too is he's a beautiful person, like his soul is beautiful, like he's just he's so humble and he'll do anything for you and, and he's, he, he's, he's an incredible human, he really is, and that's why, that's why he is what he is. He's just an incredible person, and God bless him, and he hope he has a long career, which he will.
4: I thought that you know, going back to when he was at the White Caps, I think Carl Robinson deserves a little bit of credit as well. I thought he, he was handled quite well. You know, with minutes getting into the first team seemed like it anyway, from my point of view, that he was handled uh, by the Whitecaps once he got there in a in a very good way.
3: I think he was. I mean, it's it's always hard they they use that. I mean, I I don't know why they didn't play much. I guess that old pull them, but you do that with guys because you give them one or two games, you pull them to say, hey, have a seat in the bench. You wouldn't have to do that with Fonzie to be straight honest with you. He just. There's a story of him coming, getting his first game with the Whitecaps. It was a Wednesday night, midweek game. And the next day, he goes to school and class at Burnaby Central. And and then after school, he goes to train with the team down at Burnaby Lakes, where they were based before. And he comes down, they're like, what are you doing here? Like, I'm coming to train. He's like, no, you're a first-team player now. He's like, no, no, I want to train. No, you're a first-team. You can't train with us anymore. And he's like, hey, you can go do. You can go be the lines person right now on the game because we're playing inner squad he, Apparently, he was the best lines person <laughs> in the world that day. He was running a line and he was engaged and it, 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 it's just a story of what the kid is. Like he's an amazing human. Like he doesn't take anything for granted. He he works for what he's got and that's why I, I mean I think we're we're blessed to have a person like that in our in, in our country, in our organization. We, we truly are blessed.
1: Yeah, we really are. The the whole country, everyone watching this team right now, uh, agrees with you and feels the same.
2: A lot of good players there though. It, yeah. A, yeah a question. For sure. Yeah. I mean, he had, you know, he had guys
3: like older guys in the, in the white caps who were mentoring him. Absolutely. And, you know, so, so you question some of the guys that's mentoring like, is he really the right guy, but you don't know what happens in the locker room, how to deal with those individuals. Cause you can have a different persona outside the, outside the, you know, whether it's the ground the pitch or the basketball court, you can have this one persona, but in the locker room, you can be completely somebody different or off the field or um, like, you almost have to take on a different identity when you go on the pitch. Cause you, you know, Jimmy, you know, we, I, I played in Scotland, like, and I was like, man, my God, it's it's not football. It's a war, you know, and then there's a different persona. But when you came off the field, pitch, some guys you had a pint with after, great guys, like fantastic. But on the pitch, it would snap you in half without even a shot of a doubt. So it's, um, again, it's, it's you got to make sure that we have all the right people taking care of people. But like I said, Fonzie, Fonzie's won that, you know. Uh, it just, he's, he's an incredible human. But when you quickly ask the question the guys about what player stands out for me, it's not the player. It's, it's everybody's question. The, the, the Canadian national team's defensive record, like they're old. Are they going to be able to deal with it? they experience. We've had zero goals against in three games, Milan, uh, Steven Vittorio is 35 years old. He's playing like he's 22. So I think the whole, now he's got a good play, but these guys, Kamal Miller, you got the Alistair Johnson, this defensive core. And there's a, Sam Kubi's playing on the left side it's it's an incredibly gifted uh back back three back five whatever they play back four I think that's been a huge part because if you go through a qualifying and you give up zero goals in three games you're going to World up and I don't care what you score going the other way so I think a lot is I think there's been a lot you know Lara Lara who's having a, a bit of a tough time in Nottingham Forest right now but he's had a great run with the national team we've got a gifted but a, I think like almost like a Unsung um, heroes in that back five. And then Milan, again, who's not a spring chicken, has done an incredible job. And again, somebody has been displaced by the war in terms of families moved here, etc. earlier, if I'm not mistaken. And he's gravitated to Canada, red and white of Canada, means so much to him and his family. And those stories are the stories that make up what we are as a, as a country, Is as, is our cultural, you know, where we have different people coming in and what Canada represented them to give them a seat to that. I'm watching what's going on in Ukraine. It was 31 years ago. I was I was in Croatia when the when the bombs dropped. So, it, it you know it. I know what it means like to go through these kind of situations right now. And um, you know, again, we have to wake up. And these kids know we're blessed to live in a country like we do. Um, absolutely blessed to be part of a country like Canada. And um, and I think I think John's instilled that what it means to be keen to these players. And and you can see it. Right? They're bought. They're bought in.
1: Very well said, Nick.
0: Look, you, you've got to take your hat off to, to John. I think when, when John first came on board, I think every everybody was sceptical. Everybody was sceptical of what was going to happen. Um, obviously, leaving the women's program, um, coming over onto the men's side. And we as ex-footballers, we we're all going, oh, what, what's happening here? What kind of signing is this? But to see what he's done to that national team program, the philosophy – the, the energy, the commitment that he has, and you're right that. So he's an English guy, but preaching Canada and just how great it is, and everybody's buying into it. Um, it's amazing to see, and I'm and I'm so happy for him. I'm, and I'm I'm genuinely uh, delighted to see what he's done with the national team and where we are today. And that's why we're all excited to talk about the national team.
2: You know what, Jimmy, to expand on that, and Nick, incredibly well said. What you said there was, I think, was very um um very poignant and very very well very well presented. And you're right, hundred percent. And To Jimmy's point. I mean, I look at all the, all aspects of what they're trying to do. And again, just from the outside looking in, because that's, you know, we're still, you know, we're in the outside looking in, it may have been part of it in the past, but it's different now. And and I can tell you, we, we take a very disciplined approach about everything we do, particular um, travel. We use um, fatigue science, which is a, a system where we, we, we punch all of our scheduling into a, an algorithm that gives us our best options for travel, when we should travel, when we shouldn't travel. The impact of the travel will have on the next three games, up to five games post travel, and you can see that they're addressing that. You know, when it was pushing for the games back here in Toronto and not in Vancouver because of the amount of travel they were going to have to fly the extra four or five hours to get to, you know, to get the other side of the country. It, those things, are, they're taking everything into consideration, and I think, you know, to to their credit, they're addressing all aspects of of the science of sport. That's going to reflect on minutes players have played. There's no question about it. They're going to Address that accordingly in terms of practices and how much practice they're going to do, how much they're going to do throughout the course of practice. And, I, and I, my understanding is they have a good real sports science guy working with them who's addressing all of that. So they're really taking every aspect, like they've built a program, like I was saying, they've built a program and you know, using basic principles and, and developing the real system. I think that's, that speaks volumes. It really does.
4: And don't you think, Alex, I mean, we've been pushing for that for a long time uh, about that, Alex about being professional and if we were going to compete our Canadian national team, that is, at a at a level where the whole world is playing, we needed to up that. We needed to get to a level. And Herman understood that. He's managed to somehow get into the vaults of the Canadian Soccer Association somehow and get the money that he's needed to be able to put this team and get everything that he's needed to be, you know, professional and successful. We we never had that before, um, so it's a new new era. It's a it's a time now that hopefully we can build on that and uh, and in many other ways too with the with the money from coming in from FIFA.
2: Yeah, again, again, they're finding the right people and making it worth their while too. You know, it's not just you know uh, you know come in just because it's Canada and go do it. Well, that's the case, but people just can't walk away. you know, three four months at a time and put into the program, they've got money for the program, they're bringing the right people in and they're making it worth a while. And to me, that it's, it's, that's how it's going to work as it works everywhere else. You know, it's, uh, um, but, but again, going back to, to, to the academies of what I've seen now and, you know, across the country, you know, up in TFC, I think it's t- terrific setup. What, you know, what, what they've set up there, you, you know, you've got full-time therapists working with each of these different teams. You've got, you know, you've got sports science people involved overseeing the whole program it's fabulous. Players have a chance to develop and and, um, and move forward, you know, without burning a player out, hopefully, at least putting some kind of real thought behind what you're doing as opposed to, you know, grinding out for the next win, you know, that's which is often what happens. I've never heard
1: of the term myocarditis before. It was the headline that Alfonso Davies uh, had the condition. Is that uh, heart condition something that you see uh, Ever in the NBA?
2: Yes, we've seen it in the NBA yeah, numerous times. This is something we report, especially in, in the demographics that we work in, the size. We call it an athletic heart, which is a huge, like a massive heart, really, in, in the size of these players. We do cardiac testing, as, as just as a matter of course, with every one of our players. That's that's automatic. And that's done at the actual combines, when players are coming into the combines. And we pick a lot of that stuff up very early on. Secondly, I would say that it's a complication of COVID, as we all know how we address something like that is actually, and it's been a learning process, quite frankly, you know, for the last, you know, for three, two years now, you know, we've had three broken seasons, really. Going into the bubble, you know, we, we didn't know what to expect. Nobody knew what to expect, really. And we went into the bubble, were tested every single day. If it was any cases of COVID, they were immediately taken out. It was at that point, a player was out for at least 21 days. It, it amounted to something like 18 to 21 days before we could even get back on the court and, and even work out. Right, but even then, we had to do a a series of blood tests plus a a cardiac testing at that point to make sure everybody was clear of myocarditis. Right, so it's a complication. It's going to affect some players. How you deal with it? We use a a cardiologist, and every one of our players now, anybody who has that, automatically refer to a cardiologist who will evaluate them one way or the other. I don't know if anybody who's had COVID. If you haven't, I can tell you that I got it. It affected me. Obviously, a bit older, but it definitely affected my just walking. You know, I was fighting for air. You know, and and I, and I kept thinking back. My goodness, we expect players to go back and play. That was my immediate reaction. You know, to it. And having experienced a little bit of it myself, I started questioning myself on it. You know, at, at what at what point do we send players back here? You know, and so, but it's definitely there. You know, I think you have to deal with it, and consider it. Myocarditis is is a, is. It can affect anybody. It's a complication, and obviously, they're going to take that very seriously. They're going to really nurse him back very slowly. As far as I'm concerned, I think that's what would happen. And he'd be in the absolute care of, of a cardiologist, 100%. Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun.
1: I'm glad we got to tell some old stories. Uh, I'd love to hear hear some more in the future, too. Um, Nick, you, you're in charge of the uh, U19 team. Um just quickly, kind of how, how's the season going, uh, started so far, and, and uh, what's on the on the near horizon for you?
3: Yeah, actually, since the pandemic, i have had about six jobs at the Whitecaps just because the way things have gone. So um, uh, you're just trying to help out any way you can, just with the infrastructure, how it was going. Obviously, now we're in a better spot, and we're going to have uh, – we have a, a second team, which is called the MLS Next Pro. Uh, they're going to – we're playing in the MLS 2, per se. So it's the next pro platform, uh, so I'll be part of that team as well. Well, that's what I've not with the 19s anymore as of now. So, um, the season starts this coming week. Um, so it's 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 actually an exciting moment because it's an age group that I'm really familiar with and that I have a lot of passion for. It's a 17 to 23 um, age group that we lose a lot of those kids. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, should be should be fun year for everybody. Hey Desso, are you still uh, using the rollerblades to get to training? Like you did it back in St. Johnson? Do you know what I do? I uh, I ride my bike to work every day from North Burnaby to UBC. So it's about a 20k jaunt and 20k back home. So I do about 40 to 50k a day. So I put about 200 250 a week, which is about eight to thousand k a month on my bike. So um, it's it's been awesome. I love it, rain or shine. Um, keeps you fit. Keeps your wheel spinning. I had COVID as well, Alex, for, but it it didn't hit me as hard and. Two days after COVID, I was back on the bike doing my uh, 50k. So, um, yeah, doing my part for the for the environment, pal. Trying to uh, plus I think uh, gas is over two bucks a liter. So, I've got a bit of Scot. I got a bit of Scottish in me from my six years there. So, <laughs> Hey, you can't say that pockets are long and the hands are short and arms are short, as they say, buddy. So, alligator your
2: arms, unbelievable, right? <laughs> unbelievable. And listen, guys, honestly, thank you for having me, but I really have to take off. You know, I gotta. I got a job to do here. (laughs) Great
1: to chat with you. Thanks for sharing some stories and insight.
2: Don't tell my (laughs) wife. She thinks I'm working. Don't tell
3: her.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Al. You're brilliant. Thanks,
3: Alex. Cheers, Cheers, Al. Be good, pal. Yeah. Good to see you, guys.
1: Great chat. I love those stories.
3: Well, I think we've just about
4: handled everything and covered everything, certainly from the national team point, point of view. And, uh, and even uh, Alex helping out with Fonzie in this situation. Obviously, you know, Alex is so professional. He's not going to talk about Bayern's medical staff or what they're, you know, doing with Alfonso, But it was nice to get uh, his opinion on how they would do things uh, at the at the Raptors. And um, very interesting, very interesting times. And, uh, it, you know, it, it it still wouldn't surprise me. Um if Alfonso shows up for the Jamaica game, obviously not the squad, but it uh, shows up and, and part of the squad and, and the celebrations, hopefully uh, on the 27th, uh, you know, so yeah, you never know, you never know. Uh, but again, it's all down to Bayern Munich really. Yeah, absolutely.
0: But the next time, next time Daso's on, we've got to get some of the stories from him about his time in France. And then also St. Johnston, St. Johnston, because he's got some great stories
1: of his time there.
3: France was a disaster, buddy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Why was France a disaster?
3: It started a disaster. I left I left Canada uh on a flight to join a team that was in the second division, uh, which was decent level in France. And I got on a flight and when I landed in Paris, my buddy was picked me up and he showed me the newspaper that day and it said, uh, my team was Cal saint They got relegated to the third division because of financial issues. And I looked, and it's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, ah. So that's that's how it started, and it, and then I had the pubic symphysis there. I had issue with my, I was taking medication for my apparently back stuff. That was it was just all over the shop. It was just a disaster year, and then the Frenchy, the, the French people who I'd learned to love, but it was a tough one in the beginning. It was tough, tough to crack them, you know. So it was, uh, it was a tough, tough year, man. But uh, anyway, I'm gonna start to cry for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
4: so if you if you guys didn't know, is the uh, number two greatest foreign player ever to play for, for Saint Johnston. How about that? How about that? And my buddy uh, Sergey Baltacha, who we've been talking about uh, uh, being uh, my time saw him uh, in Ukraine and Kiev, and the first Soviet player to sign uh, for an English club, uh, ended up going to Saint Johnston and uh, pipped dasso for the best international player ever
3: <laughs> if you're not first you're last <laughs> hey there was there was only just you know there's only three internationals that ever played for st John's, so it's not bad i'm pretty good you're a legend up there i think i think the one day i remember living in scotland i get a phone call from jimmy one morning he can't stop laughing on the phone i'm like what's and apparently jimmy helped me there was a video on. It was like Soccer Saturday or something where I was in a wall. Oh yeah, so I, we're watching, we're watching Soccer I, Saturday, <laughs> right? Do you remember
0: Soccer Saturday? Of
1: course, with Graham Leggett. Yeah, that was my introduction. No no, 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 no. No, 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 no.
0: Oh, what was it? Oh, in the UK, right? Soccer AM. Soccer AM, right? So we're watching. I'm sitting there watching Soccer AM. I'm having a little cup of cup of tea, and they show these blooper clips, right, through all the leagues in in the UK. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there having my tea. And there's this guy that just takes this rocket right off the face. And it's, you know, you know, those, you know, those blow up punch things where you punch him and then they just come straight back out. You know, they go down. That was DASO went straight down the team. I spat my T all over the, whole <laughs> over the TV. I called him right away. You made soccer. am. <laughs>
3: How's your nose by the way? And that was when he'd be passed out and they'd say, you know, you know, how are you doing? Like, you know, how many fingers? And you'd yell Tuesday. <laughs> okay, you didn't know where you were. And it's like there was no, you just went and played again. That's the reason why I'm the way I am, I guess. But the best part, then it's, I think you had a bad day because I called you and you said, Ah, it's not a good one. What happened? I got subbed today. It happens. He goes, No, no, the gaffer subbed me went into play. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it was the
3: David Blake you know your shit when the manager takes you out and actually takes yeah. your spot.
0: <laughs> I think. I think he. I think he played every position. I even think he went in goal one time because the keeper was having a nightmare. I think he pulled their best, best. you're. Out, I'm going in. What a
1: situation that must have been. And you know, I, I'm like disappointed we ne- we don't see that more. Um, the, the I forget his name now, but uh, he'd retired and taken over Swansea. Remember their last season in the Prem, Monk. Monk. It was Gary Monk. That's right. It was it was Gary Monk, and yeah. I thought he was going to be you know be proper player manager and uh, yeah. sub himself in, but he didn't. He just uh, he just became the manager after that. But that that's something I, I'd love to see more. But I think I think all you guys on the sidelines would uh, have had quite a few moments where where you'd like to get in there and play yourself based on how things are going.
0: Listen, you you, it's the worst thing in the world playing with a player manager. Mm-hmm. Because as the game's going on, you see him looking over the bench. Get the left back off. He's having one. You know, all of a sudden, you're off. We need a striker. Get this guy off.
4: <laughs> and pl-
0: and then you just find yourself just passing him the ball all the time because he's a gaffer. Here, give him the ball.
4: He wasn't a bad player either.
0: Glad right. <laughs> <laughs> he was all right.
1: Decent player.
3: I think I think the best story for Jim, and it's this easy story, when we used to travel the national team, and it was a little different back then. We, we would, you know, we'd enjoy one or two nights out as we do and we'd get together. We were like a family back then too, but a different type of family. But um, I remember Jim Brennan's duffel bag was like stacked, pulled, just full from top to bottom. Big, almost like a hockey side duffel bag. Had about a layer of clothes this thick, maybe an inch of football stuff. Like, you know, one t-shirt, one track suit, and maybe one pair of socks. And when you lifted that up, then you had the golden, it was like going out gear that you had for like a month. <laughs> you had everything in there. <laughs> I used to whistle. And then my, my, my
0: drawer would open up and all of a sudden their shoes would come out, jeans would come out. Come on.
4: I wonder if the guys do that now. I, 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 You know, I, I don't, I have my doubts of It's the same sort of environment. I, I really do. I think they're on their phones and they're more interested in, Twitter and Instagram
3: and well, you can't though because with social media though, it's not even about them being on it. It's about them going out somewhere and then social media mm. hammering them, right? Mm. Um, you know, you know that that's it's it's a whole different culture. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I remember that coach said the teams. It's like before. It's like, do you guys want to go out? Like, just you're allowed to leave the hotel. Like, go for a walk or put some jeans on, go for a walk down the beach or Go for a dinner somewhere else. No, we're good. In the hotel, draw, you know, blinds drawn, uh, all their different apparatuses around them, and that's what it was. And it's just it's a different different culture now, right? They they, they have everything at, at their doorstep, right? So a little different. I d I didn't prefer I prefer being out. We there.
4: would have found a place out in Florida somewhere. <laughs> Nobody's gonna be using social media.
3: Yeah. yeah, but we didn't have PlayStations and Xboxes either. Yeah, 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 no, whatever, it's, it's, but like I said, I think, I think, uh, going back to that group, it's, it's a focus group, like they got, they got, uh, a right chance, this group, so it should be fun. We we worked hard, and we had fun. Oh, yeah. And we were close. Yeah, we were very close. You know, and, but anyway, that's, that's the back, those days, living the now, as Bill and Ted say, living the now, right? (laughs) You know who that is, Bill and Ted?
1: I I know, I know the reference. Okay, well, it's a, it's a movie.
3: (laughs) Canary's, Reeves, Reeves, best actor in the world. Yeah, we know, we know what it is.
1: Well, maybe that's one I'll have to pull up again. I'm a big, big canoe guy. I, you know, I just learned he was Canadian. I didn't even know he was Canadian.
0: Yeah. What are you talking about? You didn't know. This is a man that was giving me shit the other day about culture and this person, that person. And you don't know Keanu Reeves is Canadian. It's funny how it comes back full circle. Hey, eh? have some of that, Brendan. Have some of
1: that.
4: No, you're right, Jimmy. You're right. Yeah, who, who is that Who is that guy, that world famous guy we were talking
1: about the other day that we had no idea? Who... Let's see if Dasso knows him. Guaranteed Dasso knows who Lynn manuel Miranda is. Oh yeah, he's the uh, the advocate for the political guy, right?
0: No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no <hell laughs> you <yes. laughs>
1: started with such confidence, and then you said advocate, and I'm like, yeah. well, he's, he's, he advocates for a lot of things, but that's not the first description I would use for. No, he, I thought <laughs> Dasho had me there for a second. I'm like, he, he- what was it? He- Lin Manuel Miranda is is Hamilton. He was the guy who wrote and and starred as as Hamilton in the Broadway play
3: he still what, – what play?
1: Hamilton? <laughs> Steve. No, seriously, what play?
3: Because I heard Linda is, – is it Star Wars? <laughs> what are you talking about? Pat? <laughs>
1: I think that's the perfect way to end this show. It's a perfect way to end this show. So we, we took a conversation about Javi and what he's done at Barcelona and somehow took it to Broadway and Lin-Manuel Miranda, and it's carried over into this show two days later. Interesting. So, that, that so that's just how things roll here on Footy Prime, buddy.
3: No, interesting, interesting. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Xavi because there you go, As a person that was a part of the La Masia culture, Barcelona culture. He's come in there, and he's changed. But I tell you what, it's not just the playing philosophy, and and this is a huge one. I think that people talk. I listen to Alex. Alex is an interesting character, man. We listen to Alex talk. You can learn. I was doing taking notes while I was talking. um They're talking about building a culture identity. Um, and a lot of people talk it, they have these things, PowerPoints, they got these slides and here's what we're going to do. And then when it really comes down to, it, they don't do it. They don't, they don't fulfill those, those, those pillars of the club, whatever. Yeah. Barcelona with Xavi, if you're, I hate to say it, it comes back to the legacy. If you're a dickhead, you can leave the club. Yeah. And I think that they have their number one culture is, is, is humility. If you're not humble, you're gone. And I think that's a huge thing that a lot of clubs miss in, in their in their building of their culture is the humility factor. Um, yes, you're going to get arrogant people, but you still can have that hum- the humility amongst the group. And I think that's what basically Xavi's brought in there. It really has. And it's just completely changed the team. Pep, Pep did the same as well, didn't he? 100%. He got rid of Perry Henry, Ibra. He got rid of Ronaldinho. Like, if he didn't get rid of Ronaldinho, uh, Messi was done. Messi was already starting to party with Ronaldinho. Pep looked at him and goes, "I got to get these guys out of here. Let's go. You're out. You're out. You're out. You're out." Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously Ibrahimovic can't stand him. Calls him the philosopher. They have their little bit, but you know, people that question Pep Guardiola's quality, he's got 30 trophies. I don't care. He had a billion dollars to spend or whatever. It doesn't buy. He's still an incredible coach. And wherever he went, I still think Germany and England. For t- he's changed culture of the entire country. Um, for those moments so uh, again an amazing amazing person an amazing character but a person that really is true on his values and his ethics and his morals and- yeah so
4: do you also think that uh, there's something that we don't talk about much uh, about pep and guys like klopp and this sort of thing because one thing is being a really good coach but it's another thing managing superstars
3: yeah i think i think that when you when, when you when you peel everything away and you look at tactics and, and the technical capacity i think we all have a center idea if you don't if you don't have that cultural pulp solidified and you don't have people that will fight for you and people that understand what you're going to do you have no chance you have no chance you know and uh, i think that's definitely what those guys and you've got to be strong at times and you've got to make some really hard decisions uh and uh, obviously like i love listening to club talk because he doesn't just talk about football he talks about his life and what it means to be a a person first and foremost. And I think it comes back to the person itself, right? Cause we're, we're just people at the end of the day, right? You know, and what do you like? I go back to Alfonso, what a great individual he is as a, as a human. And I think that's why he is such a special person and, and what a great leader for our country to have someone like that. And let's not forget someone that's led the country in bad and good now is Tiba. And once again, what does he achieve in his career? If you see him tomorrow, he's the most laid back down to earth guy. I mean, Jim, you, you know, probably better than I do, but um you know i remember coaching u20 team it's like tiba we're playing with the back three at tiba i need you to play right center back left center back uh left center back I need you to play as a midfielder today uh you know whatever coach you didn't never bat an island it's like and then we go to back four like all, on the spur of the mall I need you to play right back no problem play left. i need you to play as an eight actually today no problem it just there's nothing that phased that kid whatever it was for the team and the more of those players that we can um, we, we can groom and support is going to be better beneficial for our country because we've seen a lot of dickheads in our time, right? You see them and uh, they, they can ruin a culture in a club in a, in a harpy, right? And then they start to ruin one and they bring the whole group together and then you have the downfall, right? So, but yeah, anyway, culture to me is huge. And I, I, I love what Alex was talking about his build acronym, So it's uh, pretty interesting what they say, right? So pretty cool. And he deals with, I think maybe the hardest sport to deal with a lot of, Individuals and big egos, and that so for them to deal with it. And I think it's the hardest sport to deal with uh, individuals as a group. I gotta say, I don't, I don't know another sport that would be more difficult, but anyway, they've done a great job at the Raptors, right? So, and once we get the Grizzlies back, we'll see in the NBA Finals. Dasso, <laughs> yeah, when,
4: when we went to a game in uh, Los Angeles, Alex somehow f- come on at halftime and shoot a. F- free throw, three-pointer, and then a layup for for prizes. Uh, tell us how that went.
3: Yeah, I was with actually the U20 team, and Alex took me down for the day, went early to the stadium and hanging out and had a nice beverage with them. And then I went up to dinner with Dale, had some beverages with him. So I'm a few beverages in right now. And some young lady comes out to me, and we're close to the floor seats and goes, Are you Nick Dasich? And I'm starting to look at her, okay, like, hey, what's going on? I look across at the bench and Alex never watches the game. He's looking at me and laughing. And then I see, you oh, know, I'm underneath the basket just before the end of the halftime wearing a Santa hat. And uh, it's just before Christmas and they got me out there. So I didn't know what was going on. I go to the center of course, like, and the guy has a microphone. Hey, who do we have here? It's like, you know, Nick, it's like, okay, here we go. So I had to just shoot a three a pointer, like, cold and after, a good ball of red well i i, and I take about i throw it up and i hit nothing but net on the three-point i swish it and it's like the fans go mental Woo! and then well then i go and hit the and i go hit the free throw and i crocodile like just alligator my arm and it dropped like three yards short and then i got the old jeers and anyway so i and i put the lamp in so i, I actually shot 66 percent from the field and at uh uh, in LA. It's not bad. Some guys don't get that, don't have that shooting percentage. So through two for three is pretty good. And I got and your some, whole got, career. Yeah. And I got some, uh, some jackets that some nice gentleman on the streets was wearing after in LA. <laughs> so, uh, leather jackets and some bags and stuff, yeah. but it was a, it was a good laugh. Yeah. It's a good laugh. So I hit a three pointer at Staples Center.
4: We used to go to, uh, a lot of LA games back even when they were at the forum, Alex would, uh, invite the whole team along. Yeah. Uh, great times.
3: We went Gold Cup too, didn't we? Yeah, I Is was it? injured. I don't like the Gold Cup stories. I was injured.
4: Yeah Dowser had to have surgery.
3: Yeah, I medal It's it's fun. I think I got a medal from because I had an extra on it, But they had remember the three guys, me, Birchie and Bent were all uh, Jason Mett were all injured, all three center mates. That's and right. And it's like the guys, oh, we don't have anybody in the middle. And I was supposed to meet Wadi in London. I was getting my operation on my ankle. That's why I didn't go. And I was supposed to meet him for drinks or something. I was going to fly down there after my op. And he's like, That's so I can't make it. We're actually in the semis. It's like, we, <laughs> like All right. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that was an amazing run for the country, too. An absolute amazing run. So, you should have been there. I was in heart, but I wasn't there. That was yeah. good. That was an awesome experience. Big part of the team you were. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. We did qualify to get in that one. I was part of that. Remember now they had to the qualify for it.
4: That's right. Yeah. so Thanks a lot, buddy. Be good. Thanks, buddy. Have a good all, day.
1: All the best with, uh, with this new season, man. We look forward to keeping an eye on it. Craig, uh, Craigger's watching USL games, keeping an eye on Dickio. So we're going to make sure that he's watching MLS next pros. As, as there frequently. you go. No favorite. Right,
4: no. Yeah. And Frankie Ellop too. Right. Frankie Ellop's in Monterey. So him and Deech are, uh,
1: up against each other. Ca- California mates competitors yeah. but, uh, by the way if you get a job yeah. go to
3: monterey it's incredible man jimmy should be yeah. calling frankie right now to get some work out there <laughs> such a beautiful spot anyway boys be good it's been good talking to you man. okay could be a ciao, ciao.
1: all right guys thanks that so Nick is uh, working with the Vancouver Whitecaps team in the brand new MLS Next Pro League. Uh, well, this was fun. A double interview means uh, double the editing time for me, Craig. but uh, but thank you for getting our two uh, former Canadian uh, international members on. Uh, it was great to talk to you and I love seeing how the, the, the stories come up. You just remember something.
4: You know, Alex, uh, great to have him on. He's a super sport. Got home at 3 o'clock from Chicago after the game uh, against uh, Chicago and to, to come on this morning as tired as he was on a, on a work day the rest of them are off but it's, uh, he's always he's always great and we'll
1: get him on as much as we can to talk class just like you two guys well uh, we'll be back tomorrow for, with another episode of Footy Prime so uh, until then as Sharma would say cheers for listening